0: Any operator, particularly public operator, that is not active in the other 12 provinces and territories today are doing their shareholders a disservice because there is no indication of any regulatory enforcement against this whatsoever.
1: Hello again, and thank you for being with us on the Gaming News Canada Show podcast presented by Osler, Hoskin, and Harcourt LLP. I am your host, Steve McAllister. This week, we go one-on-one with Jeffrey Haas, who has spent the last two decades in the gambling industry, including stints of almost seven years with both PokerStars and DraftKings, where he was Chief International Officer and later the Senior Vice President of International Strategy. Jeffrey is currently a venture partner in Dreamcast Ventures and sits on the board of directors of both Low Six and OmniGame NPS. Jeffrey joins us from Copenhagen, Denmark, uh, where Jeffrey, you've been spending, uh, I, I guess, a bit of time there now.
0: Yeah, we relocated uh, here to Copenhagen about two years ago, after 12 years in London. Uh, London was a great place to live uh, when my kids were born and growing up, but homeschooling during COVID uh, for seven months, which I recognize isn't as long as it was in Ontario, uh, was still very difficult, and we decided to escape uh, and come to Denmark, Uh, and so we just dropped my kids off in a Danish language school, and they learned how to swim, so this is home
1: now. And as we mentioned you're uh, and also a proud Canadian who uh, whose roots uh, go back to North York uh,
0: that's right I grew up in uh, North York Ontario went to a y Jackson secondary school uh, and uh, have since been all over the world on adventures
1: hey I want to start uh, Jeffrey uh, you know one of the reasons why why we reached out uh, a week ago was we noticed on your LinkedIn profile that you were in a bit of a a transitionary period, I guess I would call it right now. So I'll just ask you, what, what are you up to these days?
0: Um, I spent seven years, as you mentioned earlier, seven years with Poker Stars, and then uh, a brief stint with the Party Poker and the World Poker Tour, and then seven years with DraftKings. Uh, it was a phenomenal experience. I learned a lot, helped create a lot of value, but decided I would do something really different afterwards. So went to work with an NFT marketplace, uh, which was a fascinating uh, experience uh and um that position wrapped up uh, a few weeks ago uh concurrently with that i've also been working with a canadian cryptocurrency exchange called coinsmart uh, for the last 5 years uh and uh we just sold to uh, wonderfy out of toronto uh and uh as of july 12th uh, Uh, stepped down from the board and you know have moved on there Uh, but that's a really interesting company and they've announced intentions to move into online gambling themselves so it's possible i'll do something with them in the future Uh, and i also had been working on an enormous family history project which finished at the end of june and you know i've shared with everybody now so um, i went from going 120 miles an hour for most of the last 20 years to just you know full stop Enjoyed most of the summer off with my family on Salt Spring Island and in Iceland uh, and now back here in Copenhagen. So a couple of days ago, I just posted on LinkedIn to say, hey, uh, I'm a free agent now for the first time in decades. uh, And uh, my next week or two are just going to be responding to inbound inquiries, which people have been kind enough to send me after I put that post out.
1: Yeah. And I'm thinking that your your inbox, if it's not pretty full already, it's going to be very, very full over the, over the next couple of weeks.
0: It's just good to reconnect with some uh, great human beings all over the world.
1: Yeah. And I want to mention too, Jeffrey, I mean, you were, you were a supporter. I think you joined us listening on some of our uh, Thursday sessions on Clubhouse back in the, the very early days of, of Gaming News Canada. And I, I think, um, back as a novice in this industry, I, I learned a lot from you back then. Just following your your stuff on LinkedIn and and some of you know you being quoted in different publications and that. So just just wanted to uh, say how grateful I am. Like people like yourself and Benji Cherniak and Chris Grove, I learned an awful lot from you people uh, when we started Gaming News Canada back in February 2021.
0: Listen, I'm glad I've been able to help some people along the way. I mean, we all lift each other up. Uh, As we seek to progress with the industry and, you know, our own individual careers around that. Uh, But I mean, Benji Cherniak's fantastic human being. Um, While I was with DraftKings, I was uh, running public policy uh, for our Canadian files uh, and worked very closely with Troy Ross and uh, Patrick in order to help progress the landscape in Canada, which have had, you know, very positive results since then. And, uh, you know, it's been interesting for me to watch from afar, uh, and possibly watch from closer on the ground in the future.
1: Hey, before we get your thoughts on the biggest story in the gaming industry, at least for the summer of 2023, and and perhaps the year so far, I I, want to take you back to to your uh, professional roots. I mean, you and I are both graduates Mm -hmm. of the Journalism program at uh, well you at Ryerson University. I, I go back about 12 years earlier to to the days of when Ryerson was called a Polytechnical Institute, uh, the school as you both know is now known as Toronto Metropolitan University. Uh, and again, just doing some research for this interview, uh, while I was in the middle of a, an NHL owners lockout, doing media relations for the NHL Players Association back in December 1994. Uh, you were just joining the Toronto Sun as a as a photographer and and copy editor. Um, can you talk a little bit about about that and then how how and when did you make the detour into the gaming business? Wow uh,
0: so i was I went to school at UBC for a few years for economics. Uh, ended up switching to Ryerson for journalism because I wanted to be a writer and create uh, some media properties into the future. So I uh, enrolled at Ryerson. Uh, I was there for a few years, uh, but uh, early on, Christy Blatchford, may she rest in peace, came in to talk to us about her life and her career, and I was just so impressed by her. Um, And then uh, a few weeks later, Jane Vandervoort, who used to be on the editorial board for uh, the Toronto Sun, also came in, and I approached her afterwards, and I said, Hi, um, I really want to be involved in what you're doing from an industry perspective. Is there a chance I can come and work for free? Uh, And that quickly translated to an internship program where I was uh, effectively running copy uh, around uh, the Toronto Sun newsroom. And this was in the age of early electronic systems, but not yet fully distributed. So I was working with the RimPigs, the editorial board, uh, and uh, running copy between journalists, to the editors, to the proofreaders, uh, to uh, downstairs. And you just learned how the business worked. And so I went from working for free to, oh, and, and I got coffee and donuts for everybody. And it was just a merciless environment. You never want to get uh, the coffee or donut order wrong uh, for a Canadian journalist. Um, that became a proofreading job. And then that shortly became an editorial job. And because I could also take photos, I was sent to all sorts of interesting um, uh, events, uh, spent a lot of time at uh, music festivals taking photos, uh, meeting girls, uh, while taking photos, etc. It was a great life experience. Uh, but, um, in the summer of 2006, I think that was the year, um, Paul Bernardo was on trial, uh, and may he rot in hell in any case, but. Um, I was asked by the Toronto Sun to camp out front of the courthouse on University, just north of Dundas, and interview people for why they were waiting in line uh, for uh, the court the next day. And um, I did that a few times, but what I realized after my exposure to many of the people who were waiting in line to get into that courtroom was I didn't want my life to be centered around that negativity uh, because most professional journalists are reservoirs of negativity. Uh, and that, for me, it's all aspects of the life in respect to you know, multiple marriages, various addictions. And I just realized that that was not the path for me Uh, So I ended up dropping out of university school. I didn't finish. And I have a little DNF on my LinkedIn profile around that. uh, And ended up moving to Silicon Valley to be a computer programmer uh, because that was uh, a skill I had at the time and was very much in demand. So, you know, love Canadian journalism, love uh, a lot of the people who were uh, out there on the front lines, you know, creating really interesting uh, media. Uh, Shout out to Joel Warmington if he happens to see this. He took me under his belt while I was at the Toronto Sun. uh, But I moved on from there since then
1: yeah, and I think the one thing I will say is that is journalism, for whatever reason, seems to give you uh, the ability to to move fairly seamlessly into other other avenues. And as you know, as I often joke to friends, I've, I've put I think my wife through hell at certain times with the number of different jobs I've held over the years. But I think being a journalist, being able to write, being able to connect with people, uh, being willing to learn, I, th- I think those that skill set really serves you well if you want to move into doing something different.
0: I agree. A critical analysis, critical thinking, the ability to synthesize, process, summarize, and communicate. I would say that you know I learned a lot going through my education at Ryerson, uh, but I would also give a shout out to the Canadian school system. You know, going to public school in Toronto and having to stand in front of a, a group of unruly high school uh, people. Uh, and many of uh, my high school colleagues were malodorous uh, 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 miscreants from uh, the broader reaches of society, Uh, but the ability to present publicly uh, and to speak with confidence, I mean, that's a skill set I picked up going to school in Toronto that I've used all over the world.
1: Well, listen, speaking of media, uh, let's get right to it. I mean, unless you've been on a deserted island or, or on Salt Springs Island without, uh, without Wi-Fi or a TV or any other means of communication, you've no doubt heard the announcement by now from, from Tuesday, uh, late Tuesday afternoon, that uh, Penn and ESPN have gotten together and, and the result is going to be the, the launch of ESPN Bet. Barstool Sportsbook will re- be rebranded ESPN Bet. Um, I think we learned on a on a penn earnings call this morning that that, that will take place sometime next uh, next month uh, for our Canadian listeners uh, the score bet will continue to operate in Canada as part of prior part of this announcement and also uh, penn is uh, basically cutting ties with with barstool uh, Dave Portnoy the uh, the founder of barstool going back I think Jeff Jeffrey 20 years now uh, uh, Portnoy regains kind of full control of, of Barstool Sports Book. Let's just start. There. What what stands out to you from from this announcement on Tuesday?
0: Um, I would say Portnoy seems to be the clear winner here. You know, he gets uh, to have his cake and eat it too. Um, I imagine he had a tremendous amount of leverage in a Disney pen deal uh, where his approval was required, and so he was able to get his asset uh, back uh, effectively at. For free, uh, with just some uh, covenants in place uh, that limit his uh, ability to take advertising in the future. I don't know the details around that, uh, but he's the clear winner. Uh, I think that um, Disney effectively become profitable as a result of a 1.5 billion capital infusion payable over 10 years, and they get what I assume is a board seat uh, uh, and the ability to buy, you know, a substantial chunk of PEN. Uh, I think that, you know, the question is really what uh, Penn are going to realize from this deal, because they have not had a tremendous amount of success with their investments into iGaming to date.
1: Well, yeah, and speaking of that, Jeffrey, I mean, uh, it was only, I think, two, almost two years ago, last month or this month now, when Penn announced it was paying $2 billion for, for the score, and as you mentioned, another 1.5 billion dollars yesterday uh, that th- they're paying ESPN. I mean, that's a lot of uh, that's a lot of investment. And and uh, what you're saying kind of falls in line with a lot of the reaction that I saw on Tuesday night, and and again just before we did this interview this morning, where um, there's doubts being cast on Penn's ability to to compete with uh, with the Fan Duels and and DraftKings and, and BetMGM's, uh, the major players out there. Um, as we both know, ESPN is a huge brand, but but is that enough to it's enough to give Penn a lift to compete with the big boys?
0: ESPN have a huge brand and a very large database. Uh, they have a lot of customers playing their fantasy products, engaged in their P two P app. I think that you know there are a lot of assets there, but they require strategic leadership and very strong execution to make them work. Otherwise, you know Penn is paying you know top dollar for what may not give them the results that they're hoping for i'm not saying they can Uh, and even with the score purchased i mean they clearly overpaid for that although you know congratulations again to the levy family for that exit Um, but the new score app everything i've read about it is that you know it's uh making substantial strides forward Uh, and is competitive, but it's not competitive with what DraftKings, Bet365, and FanDuel have, which are, you know, world-leading apps and great customer experiences. Uh, So, you know, the question is, will ESPN Bet be able to break into the top four, uh, where in the U.S., the top four operators are taking up 90% market share today? I mean, the intent to disrupt and the ability to disrupt are two very different things.
1: Uh, Jeffrey, given your your media background and, and the leadership position you had uh, had with with DraftKings you know we see um, I, I believe you were still with DraftKings when it bought Beeson back in in 2021 uh, you know FanDuel TV is going to uh, mark its one-year anniversary later later this this month um, you know sportsbook operators get getting in bed to speak with with sports betting companies and and vice versa is that Is that a mug's game or or is there real value to these kinds of of alliances?
0: Um, I see there being a lot of potential value to be realized, you know, content is king. How are you going to keep consumers engaged and interested in what you're doing? Um, And by investing in content, you then control the distribution and you have the ability to monetize and leverage in other ways, and there's a lot of intelligence behind these deals. Uh, and in some cases, it is successful, and in other cases, it's not.
1: We, we've talked a lot uh, here in Canada about the struggles that uh, media companies and, to some extent, operators have had in in uh, effectively um, promoting their brands through through content in in the uh, you know the first sixty months of of the Ontario market and. You and I were talking off uh, before we started the interview about, about the amount of advertising in Ontario at the start. And, and we, uh, as we know, we're awaiting word from the Alcohol and Gaming Commission in Ontario for, for new standards around sports betting advertising. Do you see, like, what do you see as, as, as problem areas for trying to blend that sports betting content with, with traditional sports media content or content geared towards sports fans? And where, where do you think the opportunities lie?
0: Those are very big questions. Uh, The biggest problem that occurred after the launch of the regulated Ontario market is the hypersaturation of gambling messages across all media and the negative reaction from consumers, from regulators, from legislators, and all the conversations we've seen around, you know, steps to limit that. Uh, The concern is around the branding and the constant exposure to it and the backlash that's gonna happen. But also there can be issues around, you know, the integrity and credibility of news reporting when its ultimate action is not as when its direction is not necessarily around informing, but around redirecting attention towards placing a bet and having skin inside the game. You know, I think that, you know, I haven't spent uh, time uh, watching uh, much TV in Canada. I can't uh, comment specifically on what uh, the editorial coverage looks like today. But it's a challenge that, you know, TSN is possibly having with their partner, who I believe are FanDuel, and that ESPN may have in the future on ESPN Bet. You know, what is your moral obligation to inform consumers of key news? If that's why they're tuning in when your financial obligation is around direction towards, you know, putting money on a line.
1: Yeah, I think the other thing, too, is that there, there still has to be that separation of church and state. I mean, again, Adam Schefter is your NFL insider. um it seems to me that the lines get a little bit blurred when you now have a partnership with a sports book operator. And, and we've seen that, we saw that happen around the NBA, the NBA draft uh, back in June. Um, yeah. I, I think t- t- it does open up some questions about editorial integrity and in that and you have to be very careful how you manage that.
0: Yeah. Or you say you're not going to be careful around it and you just, you know, are overt in your efforts. And then it becomes perhaps even more fun. I mean, one of the things that Barstool was very good at was, you know, being humorous in their engagement and being all out with who and what they were. Uh, and you saw some regulatory penance required as a result. Uh, but, you know, I think that they never really had a chance to make a run of it. It would be interesting to see how the personalities on ESPN and other media channels end up, you know, utilizing <laughs> not just necessarily as, you know, here we are trying to meet our our, our goals in respect to you know our customer acquisition and uh, retention uh, but also in respect to just you know creating a more entertaining form of sports media content
1: a word from our sponsor the gaming news canada show is presented by osler hoskin and hardcore llp osler's gaming practice has the insight needed to help clients navigate the complex and evolving landscape of the gaming industry Osler's position as a trusted advisor in the gaming industry has been built over years of service to operators, suppliers, and gaming authorities. Visit osler.com slash gaming for more information. That's O S L E R.com forward slash gaming. Now back to the show. You've traveled the world, Jeffrey. Have you seen some examples, or can you think of something where uh, a company has done a really effective job of, of integrating sports betting into, into their editorial product? Well,
0: you can look at Skybet, which everybody looks at. You know, this is the one example of lightning in the bottle succeeding, where you end up having a very successful sports broadcast that drives uh, consumers towards engaging in a free play app. And if you happen to select, uh, you know, the right players who are competing on a given day, you have the ability to win a prize. Uh, and I think since then you have seen you know many companies spending lots of money all over the world trying to replicate that success uh, and uh, to mixed results oh, or largely negative results to be honest with you. That's the only real example, but I will say I've seen a hundred presentations where people are saying that they're going to replicate that in their local market with their local brand and ultimately failed.
1: This may be an unfair question because because you you're not and day-to-day contact with with the marketplace here in Ontario and across the the rest of Canada. But I'm going to ask it anyway. I mean, do you do you see the potential for um a, a, you know a TSN bets or a Sportsnet bets at some point or or you know one of the issues that has been pointed out to me is that there are a lot of regulatory hurdles to to manage in Canada, starting with the CRTC. Uh, how how plausible do you think that is?
0: Uh, For certain, every media company in Canada has already considered it, may be engaging in active discussions around it right now. Uh, The question is really around, would you rather be an operator or a partner and an affiliate? The margins are much better as a partner and as an affiliate because you get paid no matter how it performs. Um, And you also look at some of the major media companies that are building businesses around lead generation. Uh, You know, there's substantial opportunities around that.
1: And again, I think one of, you know, there would certainly be some further speculation. I mean, FanDuel, obviously, and, and TSN already have a, a very deep uh, a deep partnership. FanDuel TV is not available in, in Canada, so I'm, I'm sure there, there is going to be some speculation out there that uh, FanDuel would be a, a really good dance partner for TSN to kind of take that next step and perhaps have a, a branded sportsbook at some point.
0: Uh, Agreed, but if you're FanDuel, you're probably going to take a long-term approach towards figuring out how to get FanDuel TV onto either terrestrial air or either onto OTT services uh, because, you know, they're investing in the content anyways. Uh, The crossover between American sports fans and Canadian sports fans is not a perfect bend, but very strong overlap. Uh, I think the content would resonate very well uh, up north. right. Uh, uh, that's great. concurrently with that they're also talking to the media companies but the problem with building a brand in partnership with a media company is should they change direction and partnerships uh, you end up having invested all uh, these resources in a brand that you no longer own or control
1: hey Jeffrey just one last question on on the uh, on the the penny espn deal and, and just going back to product for a second and the one thing we try to do on this podcast is is not everybody who listens is an expert on the the gambling industry so, when we talk about product and, and uh, the, the leaders, like what, what kind of separates the, the contenders from the pretenders when it comes to product? Um,
0: the speed with which uh, bet is accepted uh, and uh, if uh, you're limited or not. Um, I would say that if you play on Bet365 in Canada and any other sports app, you're instantly going to realize that they have the best sports betting app. Uh, it's just the fastest, most intuitive, uh, easy to uh, deposit. Uh, you trust them and you trust the user experience to a great degree. Uh, when you put a bet in for, say, $50 and it comes back, you can only put $6.37 in. You know That is not going to engender much in the way of goodwill. Um, and you end up having a lot of aggressive limiting with a lot of operators in these markets because they're trying to, you know, manage profitability and they're perhaps being overly aggressive in how they do that. You know, fortunately, I am a losing sports better, So almost all of my bets
1: get accepted. Yeah, you, yeah, you and you and me both. And just one more question. Not, I think the one thing, again, not having not looked at every sportsbook app that's so out in the marketplace, but I, I would say that uh, FanDuel and and the score and and points bet kind of stick out as as um, apps that have done a reasonably good job of uh, promoting local teams. You know, you can it's pretty easy on those apps to find uh, a bet on the Blue Jays tonight or during the hockey season, the basketball seasons, find action on the, on the Leafs and Raptors. And I think FanDuel has also done a, a very good job of uh, highlighting the TSN partnership on on the app as well. How? How relevant or important is that to uh, to, to sports betters?
0: Uh, it's important in subliminal ways, you know, psychologically. You don't want to log into uh, a, an app and say, "Welcome, Americans." Uh, you know, you know, place a bet in U.S. dollars. Uh, terminology matters in the most nuanced ways. You know, if you end up taking American betting markets on a CFL game, uh, you're going to end up, you know, in a world of embarrassment. So. It matters. Uh, It matters that you feel and resonate locally. Where you end up seeing a lot of success is with local CRM managers, local VIP managers, to ensure that an offer is immediate, uh, relevant, uh, and uh, uh, feels authentic. Uh, I think that ends up making a really big difference.
1: When most of us talk about, uh, or certainly people like me talk about, the sports betting and gaming industry in North America, we we kind of look at over the last five years, obviously the overturning of PASPA in the U.S., the, the amendment to the Criminal Code of Canada two years ago. Uh, you know, as I've mentioned several times, being at conferences, conferences this year, there's a lot of talk about trying to get iGaming into into different U.S. jurisdictions. You're, you're someone that's had a front seat to this industry for, for two, two decades. And I'd love just to pick your brain on, you know, you going beyond that five years and, and what you've seen in terms of the industry evolving in North America over 20 years?
0: I mean, again, a big question. So... Um, I've been involved in a lot of very interesting discussions over the years. I first engaged with the AGCO, uh, with Isai Scheinberg, the founder of Poker Stars, and I think 2009 or 2010, in respect to having a North American Poker Tour event uh, in Ontario. Uh, and that did not conclude in a favorable way. Uh, also worked with Adam Pliska from the World Poker Tour in respect to expansion of uh, footprint in uh, Ontario and Canada. Uh, and it was a real struggle. Uh, because of the overly prescriptive nature of live gaming in Canada. Uh, and I think, hope rather, uh, that uh, you know, a, a long-term vision of the evolution of regulatory standards allows more flexibility and creativity for land-based gaming, similar to what's happening online. Um, and technology and innovation are really going to drive this. You know, the emergence of omni-channel marketing, omni-channel gaming, Uh, so a consumer walks into a casino in Ontario today, places their bets, you know, those bets should be uh, available uh, on their mobile app, and there should be, you know, shared uh, CRM systems in order to allow incentivization and rewards for people who are playing with them. I think that you know, people are only scratching the surface on that in the United States. And in Canada, it's largely prevented due to regulatory prohibitions and overly prescriptive frameworks.
1: I'd say I certainly have a greater appreciation just, again, attending these conferences this year and and hearing from voices in the American gaming industry and and their frustrations with with not being able to push the online casino across the, the goal line in several states. And when people talk about Ontario, they point to the fact that there was a, a very um, consultative process and, and that uh, the market here has integrated sports betting and on online gaming from the from, from uh, market launch here. Um, just, you know, your thoughts again. Yeah, I, think, I believe you're still a member of the board of directors for the Canadian Gaming Association. And just your thoughts on the Ontario market in general. And, and you know, when people suggest that it's cluttered or not everybody's going to survive? what What's your reaction to that?
0: Um, so I have met with AGCO and IGO uh, and uh, the uh, stakeholders throughout the consultation process with the initial creation of the new uh, regulatory framework um, over the last five years. Uh, and have had some really great conversations along the way. I've been fortunate in my career to work with gaming regulators all over the world, and I'll say that the people in Ontario uh, who are working on this file are some of the most well-informed and intelligent uh, people who have created a framework like this, uh, to their credit. Um, They had to address, you know, the big issue of, you know, uh, conduct and manage in respect to, you know, the federal framework on a provincial basis, which I think they've been able to do, and hopefully that replicates itself nationally across Canada, you know, the 12 provinces and territories. Uh, but the biggest challenge had to do with the incumbent operators. Fact is, online gambling has been uh, act- present in Canada for 24 years, 23 years. Um, and uh, Cryptologic uh, was active there. You know, I re- helped run an online poker site in Toronto in 2003. Uh, but it's really it's the large global behemoths, uh, your poker stars and party pokers and BWINs and Unibets and... Um, Uh, Bet365s, who have been active in Canada for 20 years and have been growing their brand and growing their database uh, and able to create a really robust business on that because they're not paying any taxes. They're not subject to any compliance requirements, although that's now changed. Um, And so uh, Igo and AGCO had to recognize that it was going to be a structurally unfair ecosystem the day they went live. Uh, because you have all of these operators who have been actively operating in Ontario, and then everybody else who's waiting on the sidelines and then just comes in, and there are advertising restrictions, which means they can never uh, have enough capital to invest in order to be on equal footing. And the same thing will happen across Canada as this uh, uh, movement continues to expand. So um, I think that... You know, the reason why Ontario moved so quickly and why it was so inclusive in respect to product categories was that uh, they wanted to ensure that all of the existing operators came into compliance. Uh, the non-locally regulated operators, when they flipped the switch and became locally regulated, you know, they should you know, obviously have players sign their new terms and conditions. But after that, they can continue playing as they have been, because then you not only have the benefits of taxation to society, but you also have all of the consumer safeguards
1: that have been put in place by AGCO and IGO
0: to ensure you know, a well-regulated environment. And they've done that.
1: We've seen that in the U.S. this, this summer, or over the past year, you know there are operators closing their doors. Uh, play up, obviously, is in in big trouble right now in the U.S. We we know the Fox Bet is, is shutting its doors. Um, Fanatics purchased uh, points uh, points Bet USA in the in the spring. Uh, as we were talking about off off camera, we, there's 40, 46 operators in Ontario now. I mean, can do you want can you spitball a little bit on on when everybody has to renew their licenses with with Igo uh, in April next year, uh, do you see, do you think we'll lose some operators here in the province?
0: For certain we will. And I think that'll occur as a result of consolidation um, and some people just throwing in the towel. Uh, the fact is, this is a hard business. Um, And it's a hard business in uh, regulated markets in particular because you have to pay taxes and you have to submit to regulatory authority and, you know, comply with, you know, libraries worth of documents and ensure that everything has passed uh, your testing lab certifications. Uh, People who have been used to working in a non-locally regulated capacity can be quite surprised and frustrated by that, uh, as well, you know, with limitations in respect to player inducements and incentives You know, it becomes a a completely different business, you know, uh, once you get past the registration page. So um, that has already resulted in there being a number of distressed assets being out there. uh, And you're going to see rationalization in marketplaces. Uh, And I think that's a good thing because it also creates space for more new operators to come in, hopefully with more innovative products. And instead of just competing on bonuses and response times for a parlay to, you know, bet. The slip to be accepted you end up seeing some really interesting and perhaps exciting uh forms of entertainment emerge as a result
1: what happens across the rest of the country jeffrey i mean there's a lot of uh you know wishful thinking slash speculation slash whatever you want to call it that alberta british columbia and quebec are going to follow ontario's lead at at some point i mean how how realistic do you believe that is and and if so what's what's the timeline for that Mm
0: -hmm. So if I can defer uh, to my friends, Patrick Harris and Troy Ross, who are much smarter, more well-connected and better looking than me, I would do so. Um, I think it's an inevitability that this happens. A timeline, you know, put your finger in the air and make a guess. Uh, The industry has not done itself any favors in respect to uh, oversaturation of messaging, uh, because that's created a lot of backlash, uh, as you've already seen with some preliminary conversations around legislation meant to rein this in. Uh, But... Uh, The activity is occurring anyways, and uh, it is untaxed and there are no consumer safeguards in place. I would say that any operator, particularly public operator, that is not active in the other 12 provinces and territories today are doing their shareholders a disservice because there is no indication of any regulatory enforcement against this whatsoever. So um, companies that aren't operating in Canada are probably making a mistake today. Furthermore, the ADCO and IGO have said that, you know, as long as the operator is comfortable with a regulatory position, you know, they will adhere to the same position. I'm paraphrasing there. Uh, and conversely, with all of the legislators and regulators across the rest of Canada, you know, they are um, proving themselves to be ignorant and short sighted by not embracing the model that Ontario has successfully rolled out because they should be taxing this activity and they should be regulating it and ensuring consumer safeguards and that there's no underage. Uh, and by not doing something about this, uh, you know, they shouldn't be in the positions they're in.
1: There's been significant pushback from the lottery and gaming corporations across the provinces. I mean, we know a uh, lot of Quebec has been very vocal and, and uh, to, the, to the point where um, some of the operators in Ontario have established their own coalition and are lobbying the, the finance uh, minister and the attorney general in Quebec to, to uh, follow Ontario's lead. Uh, we know there's a bun fight going on with, with regulated operators on Ontario and, and Western lottery and gaming corporations. Um, in Ontario, we've heard uh, people from the Ontario Lottery Corporation talking in glowing terms about uh, a regulated market here in this province has actually forced OLG to, you know, pardon my French, get their, get their crap together and that their business is better, better for it. Is that, is, is that too simple, Jeffrey, to suggest that the, there would be the same uh, domino effect on, on lottery and gaming corporations across the rest of the country? Um, OLG
0: were resounding with incompetence in respect to their online gaming product uh, for years. Uh, And uh, I think that the comment you mentioned earlier is absolutely correct. You know, the advent of a regulated, locally regulated market has put a lot of pressure on them. Across the rest of Canada, with the exception of BCLC's PlayNow.com, every other uh, provincial uh, gaming product sucks. Uh, it's appalling that they feel that it can be competitive, and that's why the gray market is thriving because there is no local product available that is any good at all.
1: Hey Jeffrey, just a couple more questions. What uh, what gets you excited about the future of the industry? I mean, not not just in in Canada or North America, but again, you you have a really global view of this this industry. What 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 kind of gets you uh, gets your blood pumping?
0: Um, You know, where it goes to next from an innovation perspective. I'm a player. Uh, I don't play casino games, really, but I play poker and fantasy sports and uh, like uh, sports betting. And, you know, we'll we'll try whatever the case is. Um, But my preference is always, you know, skill games for real money. Um, But what excites me is the potential for innovation. Uh, I love what, uh, I don't know if you've heard of Zed Run out of Australia, what they're doing with with Web3-based horse racing, utilizing NFT tech. I mean, really brilliant, creative guys. Um, OmniGame out of uh, uh, Copenhagen here in Denmark are creating some really great uh, casino games. And it's interesting to see uh, those from early stages. Uh, Low six Um, where admittedly I have a conflict of interest because I'm on the board, you know, they're building some amazing uh, gamification uh, platforms, uh, which can really make a difference in respect to acquisition funnels. Um, So, you know, product innovation, better forms of entertainment, that's exciting. You know, looking at market opportunities around Brazil and India as they seek to regulate. I mean, there's tremendous value to be unlocked there. Uh, And, you know, the further separation of the pack you look at Flutter right now and how well run and diligent they are and their phenomenal numbers. It's like they're not even in the same race as the rest of the industry. Uh, and it is astounding to me that, you know, some companies are not, you know, following uh, suit there. Uh, I'm just super impressed with uh, some companies uh, and others are, are are meeting my low expectations.
1: When, you th- when I hear you talk about that, it gets me thinking, again, the conversation I've had many times with, uh sports betting can this we have such a diverse population in this country and i often refer to cricket immediately and and i do i do wonder again just in terms of sports betting i mean i think we're probably just scratching the surface with uh with live slash in play betting but i also wonder if there's uh, if there are better ways for the industry here to to tap into to the that multicultural landscape that we have in canada
0: Yeah, you drive through Markham, Ontario on a Saturday or Sunday, and you end up seeing a lot of people in white suits playing cricket in the park. Uh, And it's not just your South Africans and your Brits, uh, but it's, you know, locals as well. You know, there's huge interest in these sports. The long tail is phenomenal. So the question is, will uh, somebody in Canada choose to address uh, this market opportunity or will it be Dream 11 from India where Harsh Jain says, listen, he's going to go into Canada because his product's going to resonate there, not only with India Premier League, but with, you know, uh, local sports as well. I think that the, uh, uh, the market is underserved by people really thinking about consumers in a unique Canadian way, uh, and that's going to present a big opportunity for somebody.
1: Uh, last question. What's uh, what's next for Jeffrey Haas?
0: Um, so I'm a free agent for the first time in 20 years, and I posted on LinkedIn uh, a couple of days ago saying so. And uh, people have been very kind and generous in respect to reaching out to me about potential advisor gigs or uh, board positions, or you know, come join me on X-adventure. Uh, and so I'm making time to talk to everybody. Um, I also uh, am a venture partner with Dreamcraft uh, VC, which is a venture capital company based here in Denmark. And uh, we have just uh, run fin- completed our second closing of a very big fund and are eager to deploy capital across you know a range of companies. People should reach out to me if they're interested in having a conversation about that. Uh, and otherwise, I, my kids start school tomorrow. It's an early school year here in Denmark. Uh, and uh, I'll figure out what's next. You know, check in with me again in three months, and I'll let you know.
1: We will do that. And you've been very uh, kind and generous with your time. I uh, can't thank you enough for for joining us on the Gaming News Canada Show podcast, Jeffrey.
0: My pleasure. Thanks, Steve. Great.
1: Uh, a big thank you to Jeffrey Haas for being our guest this week. You can find the Gaming News Canada Show podcast presented by Osler Hoskin and Harcourt LLP on our website at gamingnewscanada.ca and on the various podcast platforms. Uh, Please stay safe, and we will be back with you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Gaming News Canada show. Sign up for our newsletter at gamingnewscanada.ca. Follow Steve McAllister on LinkedIn. Message Steve if you're interested in being a sponsor or featured guest.